Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite memories of my church life as a child were potluck dinners at St. Luke's Church during the Lenten series. It was an evening gathering, I think Wednesday or Thursday, and there was always plenty for children to eat. Someone always made a, a large batch of Kraft macaroni and cheese. And to this day, it's one of my favorite expressions of macaroni and cheese, although you can't beat a good old homemade macaroni and cheese. And there were hot dogs and tater tots and no broccoli or spinach. But what was even more delightful was during the program, they would take the children into a green lounge or somewhere, and they would show us either Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone. And we'd watch it on the 16 millimeter film projectors that clattered, and the film would break, and we'd all ooh and ah. And when the end of the hour or so had come, we would stop the movie where it was, and we'd pick it back up the next week. So you wanted to go back even though you'd seen Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone several times over your lifetime, probably would not be politically correct for me to show that to our children this day, but who knows. When I was rector at Mary and Martha's for the 10 years before I came here, potlucks took on a different flair. It was a smaller congregation, and I can only remember four times in which we had a catered dinner. Two of them were silent au auctions and two of them were special other events. See, on Wednesday night, we did a series, uh, and, and uh, my recipe was Publix fried chicken. I didn't want to go home and cook something, and Publix was right around the corner. But when we did our really special potlucks on our patronal feast or at some other time, I would go and make something downstairs in the church's kitchen, uh, something that was presentable to the congregation. But on Wednesday nights, uh, there was never quite enough food. And so I always hung back. I was the last one to go through line. You know, there are people who are like one hog waiting for another, and they rush to the front of the line, and they heat their plates full of food, and so not everybody gets their fair share. And I've decided that it was best for the rector to go home hungry rather than anyone else. Now, on those great days uh, where we did a, a, a special potluck, I was first in line if Evelyn Bosarge brought a cake that she had made. Some of you may remember Evelyn. They were here for quite a long time, and her cakes were to die for. Now, it, in Luke's Gospel, we hear Jesus eating meals with people um, a significant number of times. Um, it, it's sort of one of the frameworks that, that Luke uses. Um, obviously, Jesus enjoyed breaking bread with others. And he also evidently had a reputation for liking his wine. In the seventh chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, um, we hear these words. And he's trying to teach the differences. He's trying to point the way to who he is as the Son of Man and who John the Baptist was as his predecessor. He, Luke writes, for John the Baptist, or Jesus speaks, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So many scholars believe that Jesus is admitting there that he did like a glass of wine every now and then. 
It's also interesting that this, the four verses, five verses that are left out between verse 1 and 7, which is our reading today, is another time that Jesus is healed on the Sabbath day. Last week we heard about Jesus healing the woman who had been bent over for so many years. And what we jumped over today was a man with droopsy. And um, Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day. Last week we heard the, the, the leader of the synagogue criticize Jesus and all the people for doing work or expecting to have work done on the Sabbath day. Today, not a word is said. The next thing that happens is that Jesus goes into the home of the Pharisee for a meal. Probably many other Pharisees, because in the opening verse, we hear that the Pharisees were watching him closely. By this time in his ministry, they were looking to trap Jesus in some way. And looking, following him closely would be better translated, was they were alongside of him. They weren't looking at a distance. They were right in his face. They were watching every move that he made. But not a word is said this week to him about healing on the Sabbath day. So maybe they learned something. There were many powerful and influential people in the room. And Jesus sits back and he watches how they sit down, what seats they take, what seats of honor are taken first. It's not unlike our day, not unlike our day at all. If there's a front table, you want to sit near the front table. If there's a front table, you really want to be sitting at the front table because that means you're somebody important for that event. And he lives, Jesus, in the first century, it was an honor uh, and shame-based society. Honor was most important. And to bring shame on yourself could be tragic. So to choose to sit at a place of honor and risk the host coming in and saying, no, you don't belong here, move down, would have brought shame onto your shoulders. And not just onto your shoulders, but onto your family's shoulders and to your extended family's shoulders as well. To do a shameful act was a very undesirable thing to do. And to choose to sit higher on the table and at the table than you deserve to sit because of your place could have brought shame on you in ways that would be very damaging. Jesus is also teaching about humility, which is countercultural in his day. You know, we all know people who think more highly of themselves than they should. They, they. They stand out. They draw our attention. Um, we've experienced this at some point in our lives. I'm a member of the network of biblical storytellers. I have been since 2006. And the first year I went to the festival gathering, there's always an opportunity to pay $20 more uh, for a lunch. And then you get to sit at table with the keynote speaker, who's oftentimes a nationally known author or professor or um, of that sort, and I went that first year, and I looked around the room, and I realized that at least half of us were not like me, because these are the people who like to stand up at the end of a lecture when you have an answer time, a question time, question and answer time, and they ask a question in such a way as they state their own position on the matter. You've seen it, and you sort of go, well, why didn't you say that outright that I believe, and, and so... And, you know, that's not the point here. The point is to figure out, to learn more, not to argue with the presenter. 
And this gentleman, the first year, was quite adept at saying, you know, I see that differently than you do. And then he would move on to the next question. I want to remember that sometimes. So Jesus is teaching us to be humble, to not think more of ourselves than we should, to know that there are greater and lesser people than ourselves, and to remember that we are uh, God's people. We are all equal in God's eyes. It doesn't matter who we are or how much power we have. In God's eyes, we're all equal. And there's one more point that he wanted to make in this gathering of Pharisees and other people, and that is who we are to be concerned about, who we are to reach out to, those people who the world tends to shy away from, those people, the people, the others, those people makes me nervous, the others who God calls us to be aware of, not our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and those who have power and authority, but those who are crippled, who are lame, who are poor, who are blind. And he doesn't even teach with a parable. He talks directly to the topic. Those are the ones that we should be paying attention to. Those are the ones who we should be reaching out to. And when we do that, we're doing, he's teaching us about being graceful, being graced. My favorite definition of grace is a free gift given when we least deserve it, with no strings attached, no expectation of return. Free, no strings attached, given when we least deserve it. Paul reminds us that while we were yet sinners, while we are yet sinners, that God gives us the grace-filled gift of Jesus. It's the greatest grace gift we've received. No expectation of return. Now, there are many, many graceful people in this place. I could go down a whole list of folks, dozens and dozens of individuals and of groups and of people who give of their time and their talent and their treasure in the name of Jesus. We can talk about any number of folks who all you have to do is ask and they will do. Any number of folks who, if they see something that needs to be done, they will do it without being asked. Susie and I experienced grace-filled people five years ago when she was recovering from her fall. And many, many people beyond those who came to our door. We are a place that was supposed to supposed to be grace-filled. And I want to talk about one particular group, and that's our sextants. They are grace-filled. They are graceful. Yes, it's a job, but I believe I have seen that they see it more as a ministry. They are a part, an important part of this community of faith. They live out their working lives here, and they go above and beyond what they're asked to do many, many times. They can turn the parish hall around in 30 minutes at St. Nicholas dinner and do it with a smile on their face because they want to do it. I've even heard them singing joyfully at times when they didn't know I was in the room. They are great gifts to us. Many of us make this place work, but they're the ones who grease the wheels who get down in the ditches 
literally sometimes, the ones who clean up messes that they did not make, the ones who give of themselves gracefully with a smile and a touch and a gift of love. God wants us to be like our sextants. God wants us to give of ourselves. God sent Jesus here to teach us how to live, how to reach out our hands in love, how to honor one another, and at the same time, how to be humble, how to take our place, and how to be a part of the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. May God give us the will, the power, and the ability to be graceful, to be honorable, to be humble, and to be Jesus' feet and hands in the world in this day and age. For when we do that, we let the kingdom break in just a little bit more in this place and in this time. Amen.